0: Nine oh seven that WPCF radio AM six eighty FM ninety eight point five. It is Monday night. It is June the seventh in the year twenty twenty one, and my name is Tom Kearney, and I'm here every night Monday through Friday from nine until ten with a little bit of live and in real time radio, and we try to bring you things that are interesting and uh, entertaining, and particularly we concentrate on things that have to do with uh, with North Carolina. Not not cutting it off from the world, but we, we like to, to zero in and talk about uh, uh, things that, uh, how they touch particularly the citizens of the Tar Heel State. And one gentleman who's helped us do that over the years and continues to do it because he's our guest tonight is Dr. Mike Walden, Professor of Economics Emeritus at uh, North Carolina State University. He usually appears with us sometime around in the first couple of weeks, usually, well, this is about as early in the month as he usually appears, and and we can, he'll go over as far as like the 15th or 16th. He doesn't have a particular night of the week, although he tends to be on Monday night. He and I communicate about the time my people talk to his people, as we like to say, and work out a particular day. Dr. Walden is uh, from Cincinnati, Ohio, and he uh, is a Reds fan, yes. and He uh, went to uh, the University of Cincinnati and got his Ph.D. at Cornell University, one of the nation's, great land-grant universities, and from there he came to another one of the late great land-grant universities, North Carolina State, where he professed economics uh, for many, many years and continues to contribute in his own particular way. Dr. Walden, how does that
1: sound? That sounds great, Tom, and and, uh, when you were talking about scheduling, I think we made an agreement years ago, never on the night of the All-Star Game. (laughs) Right. Major League
0: Baseball right. All-Star game. Well, I, I'll just have to say to our listeners that, that when I was scheduling, Dr. Waldman, I would, would often schedule. Well, we worked it out one time. He was going to be on the second Tuesday of every month. And it turned out that in the month of July, that's the night the All-Star Game yeah. is on. And finally, I thought he sounded a little fidgety and frustrated one time. And I said, Well, and, and on that, do? that same note,
1: I mean, uh, we're in baseball season now. I know you're a big fan. And I'm very happy my Reds were in St. Louis and they beat the card. Uh, four games, all four games, and the other thing I might add for for those listeners who are are baseball fans of, of any team and who like to read about maybe uh, past the players, uh, Dave Parker, who played for the Pirates, and then played played a few seasons with the Reds. Um, major uh, major force in baseball in the 70s and 80s. One of those players who who was had power but hit for average. He has a uh, autobiography out, which I got and. Uh, fascinating just fascinating uh, I think the most detailed and eye-opening and on honest because uh, he had some issues off field issues honest biographies I've ever read about a sports player so I highly recommend that to anyone who's interested in in baseball and sports figures especially uh, figures from maybe your 30 or 40 years ago it's called Cobra which was his nickname um, and it's uh, published from the actually academic press of all things University
0: of Nebraska Press. But he was a great hitter, and he—I've never decided whether the, the appellation, app, app, I think, is the right word of uh, the word "cobra." His name, calling me a nickname, uh, what had to do with his uncoiling or his steady gaze? Yeah, well, no, his his, his swing—that he um, he was a big man. I think six
1: five. He played, yep. I think, around two thirty, two forty. He was a big man, but he had extremely quick quick hands, and so was, yeah, I think the. The moniker was uh,
0: representing his, his
1: uncoiling,
0: if you will, when he swung at a pitch. Well, there was a, and then we were, I, I could just talk about this all night, <laughs> that's the only reason I'm saying this. But there was an episode, not an episode, an issue of Sports Illustrated about 1985, and it had a him on the front of it and a bunch of his colleagues, because Pittsburgh had a number of players who hit for average, and, mm-hmm. and the, it, the, the title of the article was, In Pit They Hit. Mm-hmm. And he was on the cover. He was the one on the cover. Yeah, the pilots were a force to be reckoned with in the 70s. They won, I can't remember, but so the, the 70s, I 71 and 79. Title. Yeah. The 79 team was the you Are family, mm-hmm. we are family well, it's team. Charged, yeah, yeah. In mm-hmm. yeah, so, any event.
1: Uh, so I'll like well, recommend that, that book. It's actually a, one of these. the detail about games, but about his life and baseball at that time, and,
0: and the players and management and so forth. So, very fascinating book. Well, I had seen the title, and I'd seen an ad for it, but I hadn't done anything about it, but now you've made me uh, realize <laughs> that I've do something about it. <laughs> but in any, in any event, the Pirates are not doing as well as the the Reds are this year, and I, but I think the Reds are going to maintain a position where they can, can be in play in the final
1: It's a sport where um, you can be you can be down in the standings early in the year, and if you make a comeback, you make can make the
0: playoffs. Well, you pointed out that they had beaten the Cardinals. I think you said they swept a series, and that's mm-hmm. that's one of the teams they're going to have to sweep. They've got three Yeah, Cardinals. seem like
1: they have a good team. They have a they have an amazing farm system. I remember reading once about a player when they're drafted by the Cardinals, and they and they go to one of the farm teams. They're given a notebook, the Cardinal way. And the Cardinals have this this ability to mold players into into uh, very, very uh, competitive stars, and, uh, particularly
0: in the pitching area. So well, it, it's, it's appropriate park. because they were one of the first teams to have a farm system. Uh, all of it uh, Branch Rickey that. was oh. the guy that got that idea, I think, and applied it. And, of course, he went on to do bigger and greater things when he moved to Brooklyn. But in mm-hmm. any event... Uh, truth in in programming uh, Dr. Walden gives me a cheat sheet every week. If I appear to know what the important things that are going on are in our economics are it is because he has he has clued me in and I ask him appropriate questions because he knows the questions that ought to be asked and, and answered and we usually start with um, uh, a uh, uh, economic overview economic overview. But you know what we're going to do, Dr. Walden? And you and I talked about this. We've just about used up the first quarter of our program. okay, okay. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, you're going to hit the the baseline with your feet running and talk about an economic uh, overview and move from there into talking about issues like unemployment and employment, as a matter Mm -hmm. of fact, along the way. Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics emeritus at North Carolina State University, and our oldest not in in point of service. He's been with us virtually every month that he could be since sometime uh, like 1989, and that's a long time. But uh, he'll be back to talk about uh, the economic overview of the country right after this. WPTF, Tom Kearney, and I'm going to step out of the way and introduce you again to Dr. Mike Walden, who's going to talk about an overview of the American economy right now. Yes. Tom? Um, yes. Yes. Oh,
1: um. Um, yes, I want to give you a little overview of what we've been seeing in the economy. And since we took the first segment and devoted to baseball, I'm, this is going to bleed over into talking about the labor market. Well, it's pretty much good news about, about the economy. We are we are clearly uh, recovering from the COVID-19 recession. Um, and uh, we probably are close, if not already there, to... Being fully fully recovered in terms of what we call the aggregate production of the economy, of products and services that's it's known as GDP, gross domestic product, uh, we think that's probably we're there or we're very very close to there. So that's certainly good news. When you think about uh, a year ago, we were in the uh, in the depths of that recession. Um, some big debates, of course, about this recovery. And one has to do with uh, something that I really didn't have on my radar screen, and that is that we'd be looking at labor shortages now. I mean, if you think about the fact that uh, at the bottom of the COVID-19 recession, uh, we have lost nationwide about 20 million jobs, and we've been clawing back with those, and we're still down in total number of jobs. But you hear reports of a lot of businesses saying they just can't find workers. They're not getting people to apply for jobs. And this is particularly the case in areas like restaurants and and other sorts of entertainment and hospitality fields. And so we do have a debate about why that's the case. And there are a number of possible reasons. Uh, One is that people are maybe who are without work, uh, they're just not ready to go out and look. They're still scared of COVID. Another could be that uh, they have children that are home. Maybe they have been home from school or still home from school and they have to take care of them. But the one that has really been stirring debate, and we've had this debate here in North Carolina, is whether the uh, additional unemployment compensation to unemployed workers that the federal government has been providing, whether that has been making it financially uh, uh, in a financial situation where many people, particularly people who are working at close to minimum wage or at minimum wage, whether they're actually would be earning more if they stayed unemployed and collected those checks versus going to work, and there have been some there's been some research that would suggest that that perhaps probably is playing a role, not certainly not the entire role, but is playing a role. But this is something I certainly didn't anticipate that when we began recovering from this. Uh, COVID-19 recession that we'd have employers saying, we just can't find workers. Now, in that regard, if I just continue in that regard, uh, there, what we're seeing actually is workers, I'm sorry, businesses responding the way we'd expect, and that is they're raising wages. Now, not every every business, but if we look, for example, at the uh, hospitality, leisure, and hospitality sector, where a lot of these concerns, I think, are have been raised, uh, wages over the last year are up. Uh, up, uh, around five percent, which is a, actually a very healthy gain, and uh, that's double what wages are up for the rest of the economy. So I think we are seeing some adjustments there by businesses. We're actually also seeing, Tom, that uh, particularly in the leisure hospitality area, businesses are fine are going after teenage workers, and the teenage labor market had really shrunk. Uh, this has been over a long period of time, so. Uh, there's some opportunities out there for young people who maybe have their summers off uh, in high school or maybe even college, but particularly high school to find work. And I um, the last thing that their report businesses businesses doing is they're they're trying to work with them with um, with people who are applying for jobs with their schedule. That's 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 oftentimes what you hear. Uh, one of the big downsides of working in a restaurant is maybe the schedule's not to your liking. Well, a lot of businesses are now finding if they're going to find people, they may have to modify that. and Really work with uh, with potential employees on their schedule. So this is this is really what what many of us did not see, but
0: it's here, and it's going to be interesting to follow. Yeah, I, I can imagine that what what one was thinking, I would have been thinking it. I wouldn't my radar wouldn't have applied because I'm always. I never see the thing coming. I'm, I'm the last one to figure it out. But uh, uh was that once the the thing causing the economic problem was over, everything would go back to being the way it was. But there were folks all along, Mike, you know, arguing that there's it, not going to be a normal to go back to. There are going to be changes made. And I can hardly wait to see what the sociologists and the economic sociologists are going to say about the, the changes in American uh uh, employment culture. Have, yeah. well, there's, a, place. there's no question that the post COVID economy
1: is going to be different than the pre COVID economy. But what I thought would happen would be that it would be a matter that the post COVID economy uh, was not was going to be one where a lot of businesses are saying, we're not going to hire people. We're going to try, try to hire fewer people uh, because we're going to introduce more technology, um, more machinery. And we're worried that if we get a future pandemic and we have a large staff, Is that businesses would go in the opposite direction and try to avoid hiring?
0: to the equation that adds up to why there are and, and, and one of the reasons this has
1: been so challenging for, for economists and I'm, I'm certainly not seeking any sympathy here but and we've never had a recession like this uh, this is at least in modern times um, uh, even if you go back and Tom you're the historian you go back 100 years when we had the Spanish flu which of course in terms of deaths, uh, exceeded the, the COVID uh, pandemic but even then, um, you did have some pullback in businesses, but you had the, the influence there of World War One and, and deceleration for World War I, so it wasn't really clear, it isn't really clear how much of the deceleration in business was due to the pandemic versus uh, adjustments from the war. But uh, certainly in modern times, we've never had anything like this, where Businesses were told you're gonna to, you're gonna need to shut down, and workers were told stay home, don't go out unless you're going out for essentials. And uh, we knew this was going to cause a recession, but it was going to be a recession that we hadn't seen the likes of before. So we really didn't know how how it would trend. And then I think we're now in that position where the recovery uh, we're still trying to figure out what kind of recovery
0: this is going to be. And Dr. Walden, in reading the the Outline that you gave me for tonight's program. I think we have dealt with parts one and two already. I think we might have is some, yeah. to be <laughs> more organized tonight. Yes. Uh, you you know, you're just very really efficient tonight. Uh, 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 do you want to introduce the topic? I, I told that we've got about a minute and a half before we need to slip out for the news. Uh, introduce the topic of inflation. That, I that, do. Um, you're hearing
1: more and more about inflation. Um, I've read many, many articles where there are a lot of folks, uh, writers, uh, op-ed people are, who are bluntly saying, well, we're going to have an inflation problem. And, and uh, we have seen, of course, uh, oil, uh, gas prices go up. We've seen some food prices go up. So what i like to do in the next segment, Tom, is spend a little time talking specifically about inflation. What really is inflation? Um, what causes inflation? Uh, how do we measure inflation? Uh, and, uh, and then where are we headed for an inflationary period uh, in the coming months and years like we had, for example, 40 years ago in the late late 70s and early 80s. So hopefully we can do that in the next segment.
0: Well, it, it, one of the industries that uh, uh, is, is a signal to prosperity or the losses of it is, at least historically, I think, has been the building industry because it utilizes so many different things, you know, yeah. from different parts. Yeah. There apparently aren't enough houses in the world for people to sell
1: now, and yeah, lumber I mean, prices have gone through the roof. Uh, housing prices have have gone up, and yeah, that that has a lot of people worried about inflation.
0: It has a lot of influence, and I, I, one reason I bring that up, and then we'll go to our news break, is that that's one of the things that happened in the twenties mm-hmm. that uh, they didn't really take note of quickly. Dr. Mike Wallen is our guest, and we are talking about the economy on this Monday night. We'll be back after we check the news. to to 934 at WPTF Radio and Raleigh, AM 680 and FM 98.5. We're here every night with the Tom Kearney Show, Monday through Friday from 9 to 10, with a little bit of live and in-real-time radio. And we bring you things like uh, an appreciation of the economy and uh, what's going on there from Dr. Mike Walden at NC State University. We do, at this point in the program, quite often some promoing. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk about music. Uh, It will probably be uh, traditional music. It will be bluegrass music. It will be country. It may be folk. Uh, It could be actually any kind because Joe Newberry is going to be our guest, and that that sort of tells the whole story right there. I always enjoy so much when he comes because we have a, a good time talking about Music and a lot of other things. And uh, Wednesday night will be uh, Nostalgia Night. That's our open phones night when we can talk about uh, a number of different things that are sort of grouped around remembrance. And I was thinking a couple of days ago, uh, it was the anniversary of the uh, assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. And I have a good story about that. And I'll invite you to tell your stories about days that and things that happened that you remember. But... Uh, Tune in on Wednesday night, open phones. and uh, Thursday night we'll talk about flowers and uh, public gardens and places you can visit in North Carolina with Pam Beck, and Friday night will be Friday night trivia. Dr. Mike Walden is with us. Mike, uh, we were talking about uh, inflation. Yes, and um,
1: it's it's interesting uh, as I'm thinking about inflation when I when I uh, took the faculty appointment at, at NC State. Uh, my first year was in 1978, and probably for the next, uh, gosh, three, four, five years when I did my outreach work extension, and most of my talks were about inflation because that was the period of time roughly from, oh, 79 to 83, I think, where we had extraordinarily high inflation rates and uh, double-digit rates. So for, for, I'm going to do a couple of things in this segment, Tom. First of all, what is inflation? Well, Inflation simply is a measure of the rate at which average prices, and usually what we're looking at here is average prices that consumers pay, the average average prices uh, are rising. So, for example, when we say the inflation rate is 3%, we're saying that on average, not for every single price, for every single product or service, but on average prices have gone up. Percent, or if the it's, it's inflation rate is 10%, it's the same thing. On average, over the, state the last year, prices have gone up 10%. Now, where do we get those numbers? Well, the federal government does a survey every month. Uh, they survey prices for all the major things that you and I buy, uh, uh, food, uh, fuel, uh, clothing, uh, uh, energy, um, furniture, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There are uh, hundreds of things they survey, and they survey around the country. And in order to come up with an inflation rate for all of them, uh, they'll look at the price change for each of those items, and then they'll compute what's called a weighted average. They don't treat every every, uh, price change for every product or service the same. They will put a weight on that based on how important that product or service is in the average person's budget. So, for example, rents get a much higher weight, and gasoline gets a much higher weight than, say, a can of peas or or a loaf of bread. Uh, Now, on that matter, there is, I have experienced this many times when I've given talks over the years about inflation. I often hear people say, but, Dr. Walden, isn't the government deceiving us because isn't the inflation rate that we hear quoted doesn't that not include food and fuel, like food prices and, and gasoline prices? There is an inflation rate it's called the core rate, where those two items are excluded, and a separate inflation rate there therefore is calculated when you not when you include everything except food and fuel. That is not emphasized. Not uh, the, the inflation rate though that is used. and they've retreated. So uh, those two tend to be volatile, and and oftentimes economists like myself want to, we think that maybe those, when we include those, they're sort of clouding the trend, and we want to see, well, what's the trend in prices if we take those out? But that's the only reason it's done. It's not done in terms of what the official inflation rate rate is. Um, Now, The inflation rate, of course, is important for people to follow. Uh, If the inflation rate, say, is 5% a year, that means just for you to keep pace with with higher prices, you need to earn 5% more. Or it also means that if you are investing your money, you would need to earn at least 5% on your money, again, to keep up with with rising prices. So it's always a good benchmark for people to use to compare those two things, in particular – uh, the changes in their income, particularly their work income, and changes in their investment uh, rates of return. Now, recently, and by recently I, I mean pretty much uh, the entire 21st century, the 20 years, 21 years of the 21st century, inflation's really been at bay. Um, we've seen typical annual inflation rates over the last 20 or so years have been the 1, 2, maybe edging up toward 3%. Uh, that's much lower than when, again, when I came down to State 78, where we had 10, 11, I think one year we had 13 percent inflation. And, and economists debate about why we have seen so much improvement, improvement in this case being lower inflation rates. We do think globalization is part of it. We think that um, additional savings by, uh, due to the fact that we're an aging population that may be part of it. We think technology is a part of it, making workers and businesses more more productive. Now, the last thing I want to say, Tom, and then I'll take a breath and let you you come in. The, there is a concern now that maybe we're going to edge a little higher in inflation in maybe the coming months, possibly the next year. Again, going from where we were, which was between one and two percent a year. Uh, I've seen some pre- people, maybe it's extreme, predicting 7%. I think that's probably way too high. I think maybe 3 or 4% is probably the max. And the reason they're worried is because of what's been done in the last year to fight the COVID-19 recession. And, and just real quickly, what's
0: A footnote: uh, You and I bought our homes at about the same time, and I remember we we uh, went into a you know, thing where we you were talking about the rate of interest on your loan and the rate of interest on my loan, and in 1978 was 11.75, and it uh, now it would probably be a zero or one or two or something. Yeah, yeah. It? Well, two, yeah, two or three.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that's uh, that that's a real good example. Same with car loans, et cetera, because inflation is a factor with borrowing rates. Uh, the way to think about this, if you're a lender, if, if, say, I come to you, Tom, and say, Tom, can I borrow $1,000? I'll pay back in a year. One of the things you're going to consider is, well, how much, how much will the dollar depreciate in that year? And if it's 5%, you're going to charge me at least 5%, and then something on top of that to give you a profit. So whenever inflation is higher, you're going to see... When it's the interest rate's higher, so the fact that people have been able to borrow money for things like homes in the last several years at very, very low, actually, historical low interest rates, uh, 1, 2, uh, two 3, 4% at top, is due to the fact that inflation has been so low. I, yeah, I think that the first house I bought in Raleigh was uh, I bought in 1979, and I know my interest
0: rate was in double digits. And mine was uh, August of 78. I uh, locked up because 15 years later I renegotiated it yeah. down to 6.25. So. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and it <laughs> was moving sure in the right direction at least. You can refinance mortgages when rates are down. Yeah. Those wonderful numbers, Dr. Mike Walden, a resident uh, economist, uh, talking about inflation. He was going to look at uh, some of the, uh, I think, what you said, Dr. Walden. Economic that about right? of the pandemic, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, and that's coming up. That's intended to be a tease for you. We're going to pause now, and we'll be back to talk about that in just a couple of moments. That's 49. I'm with Dr. Mike Walden, Professor Emeritus of Economics at NC State University and uh, a longtime guest on our program. And he comes to the point of uh, rounding up the last quarter of our program by talking about uh, uh, economic effects uh, and changes reckoned by the pandemic. I think I got that approximately right. Well, uh, I mean, economic lessons, and what I mean lessons. by that, Tom, is as a teacher,
1: uh, now retired, but you're, you've been a teacher also, uh, teachers are always looking for ways to communicate their their discipline, and, and economics, let's face it, can be a rather uh, uh, difficult discipline to, to penetrate. So I when I was teaching for over 40 years, I always would try in classes to relate an economic principle to something that, that people were familiar with, and, and something that maybe could be woven into a story. And I think there's some great lessons coming out of the pandemic that really demonstrate some some key economic principles. In fact, uh, there's a book that's just been published called uh, There's a famous economics textbook called Economics in One Lesson, and this book is titled Economics in One Virus because the author his name is Ryan Bourne, tried to take the pandemic and talk about how pieces of this pandemic uh, illustrated were good good ways of illustrating economic principles. So um, I've got a three or four or five here, depending on our time that I'll go over. The first one is that uh, one of the problems in economics is that a lot of economic decisions are, not, are made without having perfect information. Uh, when I would give my students problems uh, I give them the information, and there was one correct answer. Unfortunately, in real life, that's not the case. Uh, economic decisions are often surrounded, and decision-makers face a lot of uncertainty. Uh, they may think uh, they know the information, but they know all that information they're giving. could could be, Some of that could be wrong, and, and clearly, we had that during the pandemic. Uh, there's, uh, In my opinion, this is my opinion, there's there's a lot of uh, what, what we would call Monday morning quarterbacking going on right now. Looking back a year and saying, "Well, look at what so and so said a year ago, and how wrong that is now, given what we know." Well, uh, we know more now. We don't. We didn't know what we were talk, facing uh, in many cases a year ago. So that's one principle. Uh, another principle, <clears throat> key in economics, is that economics is all about trade-offs. Uh, really, the only reason economics uh, exists as a discipline is that we have limited resources. from interacting you were going to have to limit the economy because our economy thrives on personal interaction or at least it did and so governors for example in every state faced a a decision to between well how much am I going to shut down the economy in order to to limit the spread and and prevent the uh, hospital systems from being overwhelmed but yet knowing that that's going to cost us a lot of money a lot of jobs uh, a lot of problems for households and businesses, and and so that was and there's no easy answer there. And each governor had to had to choose it based on on um, their decisions on on which way to go. But that that I think was a very very important trade off. And we're even we're even even though we're we're beyond this and, and the numbers on COVID are much better, we're still hearing here inklings of this trade off. Uh, all states have not opened up at the same rate. Uh, there's still some concern by some about um, about um, spread, etc. So the trade off is not as certainly as as, uh, obvious today as it was a year ago, but I think the, the virus certainly does indicate or gives a good example of that trade off.
0: Another lesson
1: is that shortages are always going to drive as things calm down, those prices will come back down. But but always expect that. If there's a shortage or something, that's an automatic uh, factor that drives up prices. And then the last item I'll, I'll talk about here, Tom, is the 30, concept, about 30 seconds now. All right, of externalities. And that's when you do something that harms me. And, and where we uh, had a debate about this in the pandemic is particularly re, uh, involving masking and distancing. That we wanted to limit the spread, and that meant telling people to do things maybe they wouldn't really want to do in order to save other people or, or limit the spread to other people. And that's always a hard thing to get, get uh, universal agreement on.
0: That's a nice, neat package, Dr. Walden. Well, thank you, Tom. I, I rehearsed like, a little bit earlier. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Dr. Mike Walden talking about the economy and some changes affected by the uh, pandemic. I hope he will be back with us in about another month, and uh, thank you so much for being with us tonight, Dr. Walden. Well, thanks we'll Tomorrow night here we're going to talk time. about thank music you. with uh, Joe Newberry.